welcome to the follow-up to our podcast, which was How Do We Talk About COVID? And I am joined by the fabulous... Christy Mack. Uh, and this is Jim McNeish here. Um, and we have a different format to how we've done Leaders What Now up to now. So the idea is that Kirsty and I are going to organise dialogue sessions with a number of people to talk about difficult areas to talk about. So we've just done COVID um, and Kirsty and I are now going to review that. Um, but we are going to do other topics um, such as uh, race, um, such as um, Scottish independence, um, things like uh, uh, potentially America. Uh, how does that affect economy, us and what are we thinking about climate climate so we've got a bunch of things that we're thinking we want to get those conversations uh had with groups of people and then what's going to happen is Kirsty and I are then going to do a follow-up chat about well what did we hear and what are we learning about how do we start to talk about these difficult uh topics and what's our posture? Because a strong belief from both Kirsty and I is that we do need to join the world back up again. And whereas there is definitely evidence and great uh, encouragement for things that are happening along those lines, we also are seeing polarisation and we are seeing um, uh, more hostility between factions and groups, particularly on social media, but certainly in the political and television world as well. So um, we, our contribution to that is, is can we start bringing some experiential thinking into um, how do we talk about those subjects? Kirsty, um, what's been your kind of re reflection a little bit on uh, that since we've started thinking that's what we want to do with our new podcasts? I am... Um... I think it's it's felt like an experiment, so it's like let's let's suck it and see which it, this has been since series one, and so I love the experimentation of it. Um, interesting that what came up for me is like oh it's it's different to what it was, and so it's just like is that right? Is that where we want to get to? And even just noticing like the comparison that I went through in my head, and the comparison led to uh, oh an all sort of feeling, a, a sort of is this do we just is this too different is it how do we do it even just how do we facilitate a conversation because we've got no. you know we've got a good rhythm I think now yeah. in terms of how we do things we kind of know when someone's going to come in or whatever but then to bring other people into the mix as well yeah. what does that sound like what's the experience um and I think that feeling stayed with me until the first three minutes of the conversation <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I was yeah. like Oh, this oh. is how we're doing it. And, and it was, and I messaged you afterwards because it was, it was one of those, and I think Stephen actually used this, the, the notion of life-giving. It was a life-giving conversation. Yeah. And I thought, if that was the reason for it, I'm in. Like, I'm yeah. there. If that was it, done. And it, so therefore, I was, yeah, the listening that I had for it was very different. And it just, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation it was like I think you said it off as well saying Christy and I are not shy of an opinion so we will <laughs> you know but don't look to us to do it we want to hear your voices and then this is the format of this whilst we can we can bring in our own opinion now or and, and so that again was a different sort of place to stand yes I, I think you've almost put a proposition up there Kirsty about 
how we talk about these things just by what you said there, which is um, maybe it's, there is something in us as human beings which requires dialogue and connection mm-hmm. and the exploration of ideas. And, and maybe that's the basic answer at the end of all of these things that we'll come across, which is we'll know it's a good conversation if it generates a desire to have more conversations about it. Yeah. You know, that the, the health is in the conversations. That's the arriving. It's not yes. the arriving at a consensus or a point. It's staying with a desire to keep exchanging viewpoints and enlarging our cadre of worldviews and opinions that we can have on this. I love that. I love that. I, and, and it is about because we threw in some provocative questions, right? Mm. To, to notice what came of that and to observe that was really interesting. And, and it is the intention, you know, the, I, I love that notion of the health is in the conversation. Yeah. Um, we, we didn't go into it that at the end, there's a nice little boa and we all agree and we decide, this is how <laughs> we talk about this. There was a, we're holding a container where we are really curious about what you've got to say what is your experience yeah and if you disagree say you're going to disagree you know just disagree that's okay we want you to disagree we want you to give another opinion we want you to add value which was just so i think it comes back to as you say it comes back to the intention yes that container of the relationship and to see the relatedness to other people who, you know, we knew everybody, our, ourselves in, in differing ways. But the deep, res- and that again, it's, it's through a screen. The deep respect that everyone had for one another in the dialogue, I thought I was really struck by that, that mm-hmm. because there was that container and that intention and, People were eager to have, and 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 everyone said, "Well, I took, I've, I've given this some thought, or I've, I've uh-huh. taken some notes," which I thought was really respectful as well. Definitely. So, what was the most kind of useful thing that came out of the conversation for you? So, you know, this idea is good to talk, and 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 how do we talk about COVID? So, we we had a chat about COVID in terms of just the content of the subject matter, COVID. What came out of the dialogue that struck you as important to have been mentioned? The how it felt like there were so many things attached to COVID. The what are the missing conversations? So Lindsay and Scott both mentioned it as well about charity. Yes. About how people are impacted by charity. The notion of the joy that is Jimmy <laughs> saying. Um, you know, talking about the Amazonian jungle and 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 how, um, and even just little sound bites from Jimmy we could just have for the rest of our lives. Um, his notion of listening to what we've forgotten, you know, the wisdom and the tradition, the, the wisdom in his voice, the wisdom and the traditions that are here on our planet that are not no longer, we're just mm-hmm. not listening. I mean, I remember when he was talking about... Um, and, and speaking to the the uh, Glasgow University, I remember being in New Zealand and they were talking about, and this sap they've used for curing tuberculosis and then this tree, they've done this. And you're like, why yeah. why are we struggling to find a drug for these sort of things? And, and so that felt, that was a reminder for me. That was a deep reminder for me in terms of 
the maybe even the commerciality of certain circumstances mm. um and also i think it was Stephen who says you know so we 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 kind of flicked a switch kenny mentioned it as well we, all right love thy neighbor okay mm -hmm. we're in it we're doing it and now we're not or, or yes. is it that we're not or is it that we're not overtly doing it because we're not standing on our doorsteps and clapping in the UK on a Thursday, are, have we thought, has that started a, actually, I am going to look out for my community, I am going to check in, or have we just not, have we just reverted back? And so some of the dualisms were kind of coming through for me. Um, uh, interesting when you say the dualism, because I, I guess I was struck by one or two of the paradoxes Yes. You know, so I think um, I provoked at one point to say, should we just enforce vaccination? You know, if, if we know that it is the scientifically the, the best way, and that's why UK numbers are dropping and plummeting as fast as they are, should we just enforce it and, and governments do that? And then, of course, you have the paradox of, well, how far does the government go? You know, if you allow them to enforce this and there isn't um, protests and there aren't marches against their activity, how long before um, certain political parties start to enforce their agenda whenever they're in power to maintain power longer term and, and we lose our democratic uh, edge? And so I was just loving, like, being plunged into that. But also I felt the deep discomfort of... Um, people like um, Scott and Lindsay who are very intimately acquainted with type 1 diabetes um, should they be the ones that have to speak out on their behalf or does it weaken it do we move to away from consensus building opinion when interested groups are speaking on their own behalf or should we all be speaking on behalf of you know, the mental health of younger folks. Should we all be speaking on behalf? And, and like you and I aren't particularly affected by that, but Lindsay really is. She's right in the middle of it. Um, you and I aren't particularly affected by type 1 di diabetes. So therefore, should we be speaking and raising these issues? Um, because does it weaken or strengthen it when the interested parties speak? Or is it easy to box them and say, well, that's still coming from a self-serving position and we all have our own. And so if they're going to check out and look after their health, I'm going to look after the financial health in my business. And if somebody tries to make that of a lower order, I'm just going to quote mental health at them and say, well, actually it's affecting my mental health. And so therefore actually it should be okay. You know, it, it was those kind of paradoxes that where we were dipping our toe into the why is this difficult what what becomes of the conversation when we move into those areas that struck me the most and that and the freedoms that were coming we were talking about freedom and trust a lot freedom and trust came through and the freedom of choice because there are going to be some people that cannot from a health perspective take the vaccination cannot um and are choosing not to and and that's okay and then Interestingly, those that are choosing to have the vaccine, they, they think that is a freedom because it's going to allow us to be free to travel, free to entertain, free to be entertained. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of paradoxical element of, you know, you're taking away my freedom by getting me to do this, but actually it's those choices. And 
and that notion of I think Don talked about this the how how do humans flourish what do we need to flourish and, and it might be you know we're taking care of our business that helps us flourish it might be that how do we educate more about and perhaps we don't need to educate more about vitamins mm-hmm. minerals you know what is required for a healthy human and it's going to be different for all of us and who holds the power in that what's the priorities is there one yeah. You know, like, is it like physical staying alive is number one priority and they will demote mental health and people's businesses and the economy below that. Mm-hmm. And so everything is about just physically keep everybody alive. But then can we do that? So I was watching a television show, The Pacific, you know, and, and I, was, I was saying about how there was just this one scene where the guy lost it, went crazy and basically exposed everybody's position by just standing on a ridge and firing on the Japanese during the Second World War and it exposed everybody's position and people were killed and all sorts. And basically his mental health affected the physical health of everyone. And and so we can't just prioritise and separate out these issues. The mental health of the frontline NHS staff is going to have a direct impact on lives being saved and lives being lost. Yes. So, you know, and, and so therefore their partner's mental health, which will affect them, or their children's mental health, which will affect them, affects their ability to save lives as well. We, we can't make this simple, cut it all off. It's like, it's all interconnected. And if you pull it one bit of the thread, you tug at all others. And I guess a really important lesson mm-hmm. for me was, part of my pragmatism does want to prioritize but I really learned during that conversation you just can't because if you tug at one part of the thread you find it connected to all the others yeah the woven and just as you're talking I can just see everything that we spoke about was weaving into something else was weaving in and and even if there was a juxtaposition in our thought processes it would impact something else Mm -hmm. the notion of I think we've spoken about it before about um, fragmentation versus mm-hmm. collaboration. We are, uh, yeah, I think that we are. It gave me a heightened awareness of that too. Mm-hmm. So, so that so a core paradox for me that to examine around how we talk about these things is, you know, you had Jimmy who nearly died of COVID mm-hmm. himself, and. Um, Seriously, if you hear his story, he was just, he only discovered proning by chatting to a friend of his in South Africa. And then he put himself into a different position and that's what caused his lungs to clear. And and then from then on in, he started to get better. Um, But the idea that, um, does Jimmy then have an extra authority to speak from it? You know, because like if he wants to speak from, I nearly died, that trumps any experiences I've had of COVID and there's part of me and then if if Scott and and Lindsay want to speak about you know medical vulnerability during this time and therefore vaccinations it trumps any position I have and it's that idea of should it and and maybe it should maybe it should but should it or and and uh, let me just put and I just think here's none of those individuals did stand on their soapbox to say I'm thumping the table they didn't do that so there was a kind of wisdom for me to observe there mm. and I'm wondering if I would have you know if it had been my mum or dad or if I'd been a, it's like mm. whoa thump the table but that bit that says to what extent do you give honor 
and place and extra listening to those who have been through an experience of it. And to what extent might that cause spotlighting and as to lose a strategic overview of making sure that all the bits are included? And should we as individuals hold that big picture detail, big picture detail piece, or should we just allow the government to hold the big picture and we individually represent our own unique viewpoints and we have to trust our government to make decisions which are some kind of pulling together of everybody's individuals. Nobody's ever going to be entirely happy, but that's it's the only way that we're going to see our way through this in a, in a, in a bigger picture. Mm. And, and that, so that even sort of leads us into for general conversations. Yeah. You know, that's not just purely COVID, is it? So in, in our businesses, in our, in our family units, do we, does that spotlight come down to the person that holds that greatest experience? And does that then create a foveal vision for a particular situation? And we're not taking the different perspective and, and looking at alternatives and and bringing in the the voice that we don't normally hear and and so how do we hold that space in a conversation for people um and I think that sort of rewinds even thinking about that's your intention my intention is I want to hear your view and I thought everyone Kenny started it the deep respect that people put out for one another and also if 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 I am not to agree with someone it's about, and I, and I saw that coming up in a conversation that, because we were thrown in the provocative questions, it was, if I'm not to disagree with someone, I want to be curious. I want to uh-huh. listen. I want to understand their perspective rather than purely standing in a position of I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. The precariousness of that was evident in the conversation. I felt that. Yeah, there was definitely a sense of yeah. walking a tightrope. Yes. They, and you could you could feel it, and the and the the linguistics gave us a marker for it. They would think this, they would do this. I'll listen to them, and then that dualism sort of kind of came through. And so that was really interesting. That how how precarious that tightrope was. That we are, we're saying, I, you know, I'm I'm a human. I want to hear your views. I, I want to deeply respect you. I'm really curious. Mm-hmm. And our language says them and us yeah and and as you're saying that you know i'm I'm thinking shadow Mm. like if if we're too polite if we're too deferential if we're too conscious of the eggshells and the line that we're walking do we just suppress more of our actual real views because we've all been locked down for a year yeah we've all been scared We've all either embraced post-apocalyptic movies and television shows that have been pumping through our channels or we've all said, I can't watch that and withdrawn from it. Like we've all had an element of that. And so could there be such a thing as too polite conversation that means that we're not actually changing in a, in a real way? We're not actually dealing with some of the genuine heart or feeling or strength of opinion we have about some of these things. And therefore does, 
are there more than one type of conversation that are requ that's required at this time? There's one that's definitely about deciding a way forward as a group and as a community, yeah. but only if you're also having those private conversations where you are getting into hostility and conflict and anger and lashing out against people who disagree with you mm -hmm. um, so that you can clearly examine some of the shadow that gets shoved down into polite conversation. Yeah. And so it's, it's what are your outlets? So in a general sense, what are your outlets for your conversation? What are the distinctions in the conversation that we need to have? And being clear about the distinctions in the conversation. So as we'd say, naming the conversation, but being very clear about who you're having those conversations with. Yeah. It comes back to that respect and the intention for... Um, having a dialogue with someone rather than waiting to get your point across. Yeah. I was in a, I remember first time around with Scottish independence. I was in a restaurant and a um, friend and I were just having some food. And um, before we knew it, the whole restaurant was having the one conversation about independence. Like the conversation had spread from table to table and we were all in the one conversation. It was a small French restaurant in Edinburgh. Um, and uh, people were speaking in turn about why they believed what they believed and what they wanted. And it was a really good conversation. And then all of a sudden, somebody would put something in that would be quite snidey or quite hostile towards somebody's view that had been expressed. And it was really interesting. The whole room would turn on that person, go, hey, 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 that's enough. Cut that out. And uh, the person would be kind of shut down. And I guess I left that with an incredible life-giving experience about the nature of, of democracy when it, when it really works, because it was a great conversation because the person I was having dinner with, both in, uh, he and I disagreed on the nature of, of independence. Um, and uh, so as we were chatting about it, just like great life-giving experience, but also did the room control itself? Like, did the room mm -hmm. itself decide to what extent is this a consensus bridge-building conversation that we're all after? That's its intention. And to what extent does it allow for shadow conflict and hostility? And I think the room itself decided that it, it was more on the coming together than it was on the expressing hostility. And, and that's the question I have is that are there those automatic checks in our society? Will things emerge where the right platforms for the right conversations will happen, where people who are very, very um, strongly affected in terms of a health point of view or their business has gone under or their mental health has suffered, like will there be places for that to be explored much more emotionally and much more with everything that's happened. And then will there be other avenues which are more um, about consensus opinion and how we walk and navigate that really safe space with one another so that we're moving towards some kind of tenuous agreement about a way forward. Will society automatically work that out? Or do we have to intervene and somehow make a decision about what is this conversation I'm in right now and what can it allow? Oh, mm. I love the notion of the room deciding. Mm -hmm. And you can see that I've just been transported to boardrooms, to family units, to, you know, and seen 
what is deciding and and coming back to your thought about the health and the conversation there was a deep listening for one another wasn't there there was a listening for there was a listening for agreement mm-hmm. interestingly you know what as i was listening i was listening for disagreement yes i was listening for disagreement cuz it's, but you know we set that up and if you've got opposing views then please say it and so I was probably more listening for disagreement than I normally would yeah so how do we set up our listening yeah yeah well because my reflection on it is that my listening wasn't very good hmm. so um I thought it was at the time I thought it was excellent you know with <laughs> incisive questions and reframes <laughs> and all that type of stuff I thought it was great but um, when I actually listened to the recording back, I noticed that it was when Lindsay was talking at one point, because I know Lindsay quite well, like I listened to her through the lens of listening to a friend. Mm-hmm. But I was listening to her points again. I was thinking, these are really smart, intelligent yeah. points that each one of them is like a sound bite. Each one of them is a, a, a chapter, a book to kind of explore. And I never, I never heard that the first time around. I had a kind of general sense of, and also a kind of in the conversation with her, kind of predicting what she might say next, where she might come from. Mm. But when I sat and listened properly to her points, they were brilliant. And they were much more um, interesting to me. And and so that idea of when you're in the dialogue, you know, that idea of listening to reload rather than listening to genuinely hear or show an interest in I recognize that when I'm in a debate or when I'm in a conversation like that my listening is so dispersed that the listening to the quality of the content of what's Mm -hmm. being said is highly diminished and so I caught myself with that I caught like who am I in a dialogue that is far less respectful than the content deserves you know, and, and, and with Jimmy, Jimmy as well, it's like you, you listen back to it and Jimmy is funny and he's, you know, Glaswegian and he's got that turn of phrase and, and you just enjoy all of that with him. And then you sit back and you say, this is a man in his 60s who's been around the world and met incredible different cultures who is suggesting that we go back to a little bit more indigenous learning yeah. um, and what these folks can bring. And, and um, like, what's the experiential wisdom in that? And, and yeah, just conscious that particularly the people that I know well, I can be listening to them through a lens of prediction and what I might say on the back of it or how I might lead it on, rather than the content of it was just really, really rich and good and, and smart. And it's who, I suppose it's who we are in the conversation you know, so are we, I'm thinking about if I'm a facilitator or if I'm a coach, like who who I am as an identity in the conversation did, will determine what I'm listening for. Yeah. You know, am I listening for moving on the conversation? You know, am I listening for, oh, I'm aware of time and I know what we need to get to? Or am I genuinely just holding a space for people to have that really unbelievably rich dialogue? Yeah. Um, as a coach, what am I listening for? I know, you know, the conversation I've had with the person before, what does that mean in terms of what am I picking up on? 
Um, and if we all had the opportunity to go back and listen into our conversations, what would we hear? Yeah. yeah. What would we hear? That, that, it's almost a sadness in me. It makes me reflect back on how much I just listen for utility. You know, moving it on. When I just think there's real wisdom in your point about listening for disagreement, listening for, you know, disharmony in it and getting the richness in that as well and, and what you can hear in it and, and things that allow my own views to be disturbed. Yeah. That's where the magic is in these conversations is being allowed to be changed. And, and I think I noticed when I was in and out of, um, in and out of my head and that changed my listening. So when, if something came up that was that precariousness, I was like, oh, oh you know, I, I sort of felt, I felt that that was a feeling sense within my body. And then it was like, okay, we know these questions. What are the questions we want to ask? I went up into my head and, and I could feel that sort of bounceability going back and forth. And, and how often are we just having head conversations rather than the sense conversations, the experiential conversations? Absolutely. So I guess what I'm interested in from these is you and I just creating a growing awareness of how do we need to talk about these issues, what's required. And Kirsty, I have a, an excitement in me as well, which is, is that we're maybe at the threshold of what that second tier hmm. kind of turquoise shared consciousness thing could be and what's required of us to do it. Um and I'm, I, I, I guess that's my excitement in this. And, and so this feels to me like what this series of podcasts will be is um, a pragmatic exploration of what it's like to be in that, that world of awareness of one another and being able to talk about it. And, and that's what I'm excited about, what gets challenged in me mm. in order for that to happen. I can feel the spine tingle. So that, that is exciting. That is exciting. And I'm curious to know of the conversations that we have after all of the wider conversations, are the themes the same? Yeah. Will yeah. it be, as you say, a growingness within us of, of heightened awareness of certain themes or will something different come in in each one? Yeah. Um, yeah. What don't we know now? Mm. What don't we know now about what we're going to discover about how we have these conversations and how to listen to one another differently? What don't we know now? Good. Well, I think that's us for today. Um, and uh, we're going to continue. Watch out for our next conversation. We might be coming after you, listener, uh, to join <laughs> us in our group dialogue. Uh, but for now... Um, we're just going to uh, end here and uh, thank you for listening. Thanks, Kirsty. Thank you.